Got a question at the outset. When was the last time you couldn't sleep? And I'm aware uh, for a couple of people at the front here, uh, with, uh, or maybe if you've got children of that age, it was probably just last night. But if you put young kids out of the, the equation here, or even chronic pain, what was the cause of you not sleeping? Perhaps it was anxiety. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was angst about something. If you remember, for those who were here last week, whenever Tom was leading in worship, at the outset of worship, he read a psalm. That was psalm number three. And the reason he chose that psalm is because David wrote that psalm because of the incidents of what David was currently going through. So it arose directly out of that moment. And Psalm 3, I would suggest, is a psalm for those moments when you cannot sleep. If I was to remind you of the, how that psalm begins, it says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, God will not deliver me. And you can have a little sense there of the anxiety, the fear, the turmoil that David has been enduring and what is causing him, you might say, not to sleep at night. But actually, if you delve deeper into that psalm, you will find out that David has no problem sleeping. If I read verses five and six from that psalm, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me and I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me. But what was David's secret to be able to sleep, even in the middle of his anxieties and his fears? And if you go back to Psalm 3, right in the middle, there's verse 3, and it goes like this. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory the one who lifts my head. Now, as I have prayed about coming to this passage this morning, and I've already highlighted that what we're looking at are several incidents of encountering people. The first encounter that David has with this guy, Ziba, I think what we find in this encounter it's one of those reasons where you might be able to say, I have just had enough. I'm tired of living. My anxieties and my annoyances are there. I have simply become life weary. And if maybe you can resonate with some of that, then I hope you're going to get something out of this encounter that David has with Ziba. And particularly because we've got quite a number of visitors with us this morning, I need to just remind you about what's at, who Ziba is. Um, Ziba is the farm manager of a guy called Mephibosheth. And maybe you're asking, well, who's Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is the disabled grandson of the former king. And you will remember 
that when his grandfather and his father were fighting their final battle on top of Mount Gilboa against the Israelites, they were killed. And the panic that happened, Ziba was, or Mephibosheth was only but a child. His nurse back at home grabbed him. They fled out of the palace. And as they were running, his nurse tripped and Mephibosheth fell to the ground. And it was at that point that his legs were broken and he was disabled for the rest of his life. Later on, when David came to the throne, he wanted to show kindness to any remaining relatives of King Saul. He found Mephibosheth and he said, here's some land. And then he got his servant Ziba, the one that we're talking about now, and he appointed him the farm manager to make sure that Ziba, or Mephibosheth, sorry, always had enough. But now this guy, Ziba, meets David as David is fleeing out of the capital city, Jerusalem. And as you're reading here, what we've read is that he comes with a, a load of donkeys and he comes with a load of food and he presents himself to David and he says, I'm a loyal servant of yours. And then he goes on in verse three of chapter 16 to make an outright lie. And what he goes on to say is that Mephibosheth, that person you showed so much kindness to, he's gone over to the other side. He thinks his day has come because your day is gone. But I am going to look after you. I will be loyal to you. And in his anger, David says, well, whatever used to belong to Mephibosheth, it's now going to be yours. You know, what we meet in Ziba is someone who is constantly looking after himself. Someone who looks after number one. I wonder, could you tell me today, can you recognize someone like that? Can you recognize someone who schemes and plots and plans and looks after themselves at the expense of other people? Maybe you've been on the wrong side of that. Who knows, maybe even you are like someone like that today. But these people like Ziba, they do walk among us. When there's an opportunity, when there's a moment to advance themselves, to advance their own reputation, to uh, extol themselves in some way, they will scheme, they will plot, they will manipulate to push themselves into a position of prominence. Ziba is this manipulator. And you know, friends, we, we see people like this all the time. We see people like this all around us. You know, I don't want to make any political comment about what's been happening in our own country over this past couple of weeks, but I'm sure you would say that there's been plenty of manipulation been going on behind the scenes over this past couple of weeks. You will see it, I'm sure, in your own workplace. You will see it possibly even amongst your own wider family at times as people scheme and plot and look after themselves. So I know today that you experience things like this. You know and you feel for this. And perhaps today, because of what you have experienced, you are just dog tired and you are weary of everything that's been going on and what you need more than anything else is to be refreshed by God. Remember those words of Jesus in Matthew 11, which we always use at the Lord's table, where Jesus gives that invitation and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if I return to that psalm I was speaking about a moment ago, remember the secret 
that David found in that psalm. And he says, but you, Lord, you are a shield around me. You are my glory. Now think about a king. What is the king's shield? The king's shield is his army. But here's David. Most of his army have left him. He's left with a few loyal men, but the vast majority have deserted him. What's a king's glory? The king's glory might be his palace, but David has been forced out of his palace. He's now on the run. He's in the middle of the wilderness. It might also be his resplendent royal robes, but David is now currently in mourning. He's wearing sackcloth. He's got nothing. But David is saying here, you God, you are my shield. You are my glory. And you know, that is what we need to remind ourselves. Because whatever you might be anxious about losing right now, that loss is nothing compared to having God. Whatever you are angry about the possibility of losing at times, that loss is nothing compared to what you have in God. Whatever you may be feeling guilty about, that guilt is nothing because you know that you can bring that guilt to Jesus who died on the cross to forgive that guilt and to, to, to bring us into that wonderful fellowship with him. Because what David is reminding us of is when he writes in Psalm 3, what we have in God. He is my shield. He is my glory. This is the refreshment that I need. And this is gospel truth. You will find this help, this encouragement, this peace in God. But the thing is, you and I, are inclined to forget that. We forget that God's eyes are actually on us. Which is why I think when we move to the next little story, and it's centered around these two political advisors, Ahithophel and Hushai. Ahithophel was formerly David's advisor for many years as well, along with Hushai. But Hushai now is the spy. And he's in the enemy camp, ingratiating himself with Absalom, but to try and undermine Absalom and to try and undermine the other guy's advice. But that's not easy. I'm going to remind you, as James reminded us last week, how people regarded Ahithophel's advice. Look at the very end of chapter 16. And verse 23, it says, Now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That's no mean feat to try and undermine that sort of advice and someone who is regarded in that way. So what was Ahithophel's advice? He says to David, David, you've got to act quickly. You've got to act speedily. You've got to act now. You've got 10,000 men here. Send those people out to chase and hunt down King David immediately. You stay here, send those guys out there. David is disorganized. He hasn't got very many men. He's got no food. He's got no means of looking after his soldiers. So strike while the iron's hot. And then Absalom also asks for Hushai's advice. And he comes in, bearing in mind the other guy has been thought of when he speaks, it's almost like God speaking. 
And he stands up and he's bold, he's direct. And if you look at verse 5 of chapter 17, what he says is, this time Ahithophel's advice is not good. Now that's bold. That's a brave thing to say. But he says completely the opposite. He says, actually, you will never be able to find David. David's gone. He's not going to be with the soldiers. He's way down by the Dead Sea. He's going to be in some cave. You're never going to find him. And what's more, if you send soldiers out, because these guys are lying in wait, they might kill your guys and then they... they the, the PR machine will go against you and, and everybody will desert you. No. He says, what you need to do is to wait and you need to lead a giant army, not 10,000, but 10 times that, 100,000 men, all the soldiers from the north of Israel to the very southern tip, a giant army with you at the front and you will lead that out against David and you will smash his army. Many ways, he's just appealing to his vanity. And Absalom, you can imagine him thinking this, wouldn't it be great to be riding out at the front and the head of that army and to be so confident? Now, even when Hushai gave us advice, he didn't know if it was going to be followed or not. But look at verse 14 of chapter 17. Why did Absalom believe Hushai and not the one who was formerly so well regarded? And we read there in verse 14, for the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Now what that writer here is doing is he is saying, God is in this. God is at work. And you need to understand that as you are reading this story. But as I've been saying, Hushai didn't know that his advice was going to be followed. So he gave David some extra advice in those moments to keep going, get to the other side of the Jordan, run as fast as you can, because this guy might come chasing after you. But the writer here is saying something for us that David, Hushai, and none of the rest knew. And he is asking us a question this morning through it. He says, do you really understand what's going on here? Because God is in this. God is working in the midst of this. So keep your eyes focused on God. Watch out for God. Watch what God is doing. Watch how God is working through the words of Ahithophel. Look how God is working through the words of Hushai. Look what God is doing as Absalom yields to his vanity because God is determined to bring about his purposes. And people in this church today, or whoever is listening to this, this is a little reminder that you need to be reminded of today because you forget these things, that God is at work even when you cannot see it yourself. He's still there and he's still working. And you especially need to remember that when you are dog-tired of other people, 
plotting and scheming and manipulating and you're tired of life and you're tired of what's been happening and you just feel like giving up, you need to remind yourself that God is still at work. And I just need to look for it. And also, if you're the type of person who actually thinks that it's all down to people like Hushai being smart and pulling pulling fast moves, you need to remind yourself it's not all about political machinations and it's not all about trying to be wise. It's what God is working at and what God is doing. Sometimes we need a friend, just like the writer here, who will remind us that God is working and that God is in your life, your situation right now. And that's what the last little encounter actually reminds me of. This time it's not one people or one person, it's not two persons, it's three people who are together. I'm not going to spend a long time in this, but there's three guys here. The first one is a complete outsider, Shobe. He was an Ammonite a former enemy. Uh, Mac here was someone who was loyal to a former king. And Barzillai, he's described here as being as an old guy. He's over 80. Apologies to those who are over 80. Um, But they come. And they come, it's described here in this passage, they come with pots and pans. They come with uh, food. They come with lentils. They come with beans to make soup. This little incident, if it reminds me of anything, it's this. What sort of a God do we have? We have been seeing here that our God is a God who works out the big picture. You know, the big plan. And he's, he's sorting that out and he's over everything and he's sovereign and he's in control. But sometimes we think that's all that God is doing, that he's only in charge of the big picture and he's not worried about the little things. But what do we see in this passage is that here's some guys coming with pots and pans for David and a few beans. It's like recognizing that David was asking questions like, where am I going to get food from? Where am I going to be able to cook for my men? What am I going to do? And what we see here is the care of God because we are reminded God is not simply in control and concerned about the big things. He's also in control and aware of the little things in life. And also... I wonder, thinking of another psalm, could this have been the point at which the thought crystallized in David's head of another word which is very well known to us because it talks about being in the middle of enemies, but it talks about being fed in the middle of enemies. Remember Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here's David on the run. These guys meet him in the middle of nowhere with pots and pans so that David will not go to bed that night hungry because God knows what he needs and God gives what he needs. And that's a wonderful reminder to you as well that God is not simply distant from you and concerned about big things and the big things of this world, but God is concerned about you and the little details of your life and what you're going through right now. And you can bring those things to God. And you can find that God is that help, that deliverer, that friend. That's the God we have. Let's pray. Our blessed Savior,
We thank you for your provision. For your ordering of the world. For your raising up of kings and kingdoms and your raising down of others. But Lord, we thank you also for looking after the small details of our lives. And even if today we are weary and dog-tired and fed up, Lord, you are also aware of our heart and what we need. We thank you for our blessed Savior, Jesus, for his grace and his peace and what he offers us. And may we reach out to his arms today and find life and hope and comfort. Amen.